Hey friends, uh, this is Cody, and this is our podcast, uh, me and Miriam called That I May See, uh, where scripture uh, in, in the Psalms, the writer says, God, give me eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. And so that's what we want to do with this podcast, is we just want to point out uh, wonderful things in scripture with each book of the Bible so that people can be encouraged to say, oh man, like the entire Bible is interesting. The entire Bible is wonderful. And in this episode, uh, we're going to go through 1 Samuel and we're going to see glimmers of understanding of, of how, how does the Bible kind of speak to uh, what's been happening in our country lately? Uh, what's been happening with politics a little bit and, and with the riots at the Capitol? And that the, the Bible actually is sufficient to speak to these things. And so I hope as you listen, uh, the scriptures will teach you how to look at the world. And we'll encourage you in that way. And so, yeah, let's get to it. What's up? Hey, third time's the charm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, can you hear me in real time right now? I can. I can. Okay. It's working. That's good. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. No worries. We're just trying to get a good connection here. That's right. Uh, I was I was just about to ask you. We for those of you who are just joining us, uh, we uh, we had to try a couple times to get this to work. Um, but I was just asking you. There's been so much going on in the news with, you know, white supremacy and mm-hmm. um, Christian nationalism and kind of these far right uh, terrorist groups uh, that have obviously the, the whole group isn't terrorist, but there's been actions right. of terrorism and. Um, I'm just wondering how you're you're holding up, watching and experiencing all that in your country. Yeah, it's um, you know, to be honest, I have been struggling with a lot of anger. Mm. Um, in light of all these things, anger for a lot of different reasons. Mm. Um, anger that you know a group of white people can storm the Capitol and most of them not get injured or uh, harm come to them. And I don't want that to happen, but I would appreciate if, if black protesters um, would have gotten the same treatment. Right. And uh, obviously I know a lot of them are being arrested now, so that's good. But um, where was, you know, where was the military? Where was, you know, the, the SWAT teams, where was all these different um, police or military units that, you know, they were there this summer outside the White House when um, BLM was doing peaceful protests. Mm-hmm. Um, but these people are violent. They killed a cop, beat him to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just makes you wonder how much blue lives really do matter to these people, uh, apart from denying black uh, suffering. Right. Um, right. And so, mm. so, yeah, a lot of anger. And I wrote something. Uh, on it kind of you know from psalm 137 uh so that um you know i want my i want my anger to be redemptive i don't want to be useless Mm. but um but yeah it's it's really tough how how were how are you doing how's your how are your kids how are your family you know it's it's sad it's it's hard to I think it's hard to see um, trajectories that you saw coming mm-hmm. come to pass. And um, 
you know, I think that's been my concern from the beginning with um, some of the rhetoric that our president has used is that this kind of rhetoric that is dehumanizing, like, mm-hmm. is dangerous because mm-hmm. words have power. And when we right. minimize the image of God in others, then we open the door to treating them in ways that hurt and harm them because we're not right. coming from a place of love. And I think it's so striking. Right. I've been reading um, a couple of speeches by uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And mm-hmm. the Reverend King just talks about how at its root, nonviolence is like active resistance to evil through the mm-hmm. power of love. And mm. I think that when people have been calling for nonviolence, in when it comes to Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. they are like calling for nonviolence as a way to minimize resistance to evil, then they are completely missing the point of what Dr. King meant when he was talking about nonviolence. Because right. for him, nonviolence was all about like active resistance to evil. <clears throat> and so I guess right. like I've just been kind of thinking about like seeing this evil kind of unfold on the screen and obviously it's you know happening in in our life um in front of us yeah and yeah it's really weird what does it look like for me personally to be involved in like actively resisting evil and not just um not minimizing it and and i think you know, for me as a white person, part of that always has to kind of be self-reflection and saying, like, where mm-hmm. am I accepting systems and narratives that lead to lead to harm and, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to like I love um, Dr. Christina Edmondson talks about how um, how readily available repentance is to uh to christians and so i think i just Uh think that's such a message that like i need to hear as a white person because Uh i i need to know as a christian that i can always repent because it gives me the courage to self-reflect and to Uh be honest with myself about like where i need to you know stand up more and i i think i've been kind of wrestling with just like you know sometimes you think Oh, I don't want to say anything about this because it's not going to accomplish anything. And I, I do think mm-hmm. there's a place for like weighing on social media, like, hey, is this going to actually help change people's minds? But I also think mm-hmm. that part of why we need to speak is like we need to bear witness and we need to not be afraid. Oh, yeah. And so I guess I've just been kind of confronting that in my own heart of like, hey, if I stopped, you know, calling out some of this harmful rhetoric because I, am really trying to be like compassionate and gracious or because I'm just kind of scared of pushback, you know, and, and kind of wrestling with right. that in my own heart. So yeah, right. but it's, it's, yeah. it actually was really helpful to transition into what we're talking about today, the book of first Samuel. And I know we're going to try to just, you know, hit a few of the high points of, of things we've seen in this book. But one of the things that really jumped out to me and was actually kind of helpful to me walking through this time in our country is um, in First Samuel chapter 8, um, this book, you know, we have this transition that happens where Israel has 
had judges and prophets that Mm -hmm. have been their leaders. And now um, they ask for a king. And so they go to the prophet Samuel and they, um, he's, you know, kind of a judge over Israel and he's appoints his sons over judge as judges over Israel. And then in first Samuel chapter eight, the people go to Israel or to Samuel and say, give us a king to judge us. And Mm -hmm. Samuel like thought this is a bad idea. And he asked the Lord and the Lord tells him like, Hey, like warn them about what it's going to be like to have a king. And then there's this really crazy passage um, in verses 10 down through 18, where Samuel describes what a king will be like. And he says, these are the rights of a king. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots. He can take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards. He can take a tenth of your grain. He can take your servants, your best young men, your donkeys, use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves can become his servants. And what mm. Samuel describes, what the, what the Lord has him describe is like, when if you elevate someone to this position of power, they are going to be a taker. Like they are going mm. to take and take and take. And right. it is not going to be safe for the people to have a taker on the throne. And That's right. I I just think we see so much in our current world. Like what happens when people get put in authority who are takers? Like they are not there. Mm-hmm. Like this is the opposite of servant leadership. Servant leadership is like That's someone right. on the throne who gives, who, who gives themselves, gives their belongings, gives their life. Like you think about if you reverse this, like, God is a king who won't take your son, but will give you his. Mm. Like that, God right. is so different of a king. That's right. And I, it's interesting, like if you go to the next chapter and they choose Saul, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of where Saul's story begins. And I, I was reading the first two verses and I was like, oh man, there's some interesting key words here. You know, it says, um, it says there was a, you know, in verse two, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. And there was no one more impressive among mm. the Israelites than he. And he stood ahead taller than everybody else. And his dad was a prominent man. So, um, so they choose Saul because he's well-connected. He's impressive mm-hmm. and he's physically appealing. Mm. Wow. And so you see these same things play out even in American politics. I think oh, you yeah. see that uh, with Trump. Um, G, uh Christine Dume, Kristen Dumay has a book called Jesus and John Wayne, and it kind of um, basically starts uh, from the very inception of what evangelicalism is, and it leads us up to this point. And um, I was talking with Micah about this the other day, and we were just saying how, you know, this era of politics is actually makes a lot of sense Hmm. it actually makes sense when you when you trace the ways in which toxic masculinity and unaccountable patriarchy have always expressed themselves and actually have been built in a particular way so that we would have somebody who is what what we would think of as john wayne Hmm. um in in our culture as our president um Hmm. someone who's arrogant someone who does not uh usually respect women and um, that's what happens when you look for those who are prominent, impressive, and tall. Yeah. 
And um, wow. and I, I saw something really interesting too in the very first chapter that I thought was hmm. um, just really blessed me. Hmm. So obviously this story starts. So for those of you who don't know, First uh, Samuel, First um, Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, and Second Kings are actually one book. Hmm. And um, they are at, the reason they were um, divided into f- kind of four pieces or four narratives is because, you know, uh, it's easier to get more words on a page when you're writing Hebrews than, than when you're writing Greek. And so when they translated the Old Testament into the Septuagint, that's when they kind of started to split um, this narrative. But it's actually all one narrative and it's all basically chronic- chronicling or, or narrating the story of Israel as a kingdom, as a um, as a solidified kingdom, uh, even though the kingdom splits, um, down the road, but all that to say, the story starts off with Hannah. And she, it, one of the things it says, verse two, it says, Hannah was childless. Mm. Okay. And in the very next verse, it contrasts that. And then it says this man, uh, so this is her husband, uh, Penina, I think that's how you say it. Uh, this man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Now, if you continue to read, you'll realize Hophni and Phinehas are wicked men. Mm-hmm. They're wicked because they take the fat portion of some of the offerings that they're not supposed to. Um, and and they're, they're manipulating the women at the, at the worship place. The tent of meaning this is they're sleeping with him. And so um, Hannah must, you know, everybody knew this. That's why, you know, in the, in the story, Eli, who's the priest, he goes to his sons. Eventually he says, he says, people are reporting to me that you're wicked men. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, this is known around the community. So imagine being Hannah who's childless and she's a godly. Mm-hmm. And yet God gives Eli these sons who are wicked men mm. and she can't have a child. And so, you know, she must be asking herself, like, God, this is not fair. But then what you see, which I think is amazing, is she prays um, after the Lord gives her Samuel, gives mm-hmm. her a child. And she's pregnant. I love what it says. I think people miss this as a part of what she's really getting at. In verse two, in chapter two, she says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you and there is no rock like our God. And I think the reason she's saying that is because if Hannah were to appeal to any other God, Mm. they would not have done for her what the God of Israel has done for her. Mm. And that's what it means for God to be holy. Right. For, For God to be holy doesn't mean he's more morally pure than everybody else. It means there's no one else you can compare him to. There's no one like him. Wow. And there's no, there are no gods in ancient middle in the ancient middle east that are like yahweh mm. and that she and you got to think about it the gods don't answer the prayers of the poor no right? like if you if you look at how hannah describes herself in verse 15 she's talking to eli she says i am a woman with a broken heart like mm-hmm. this is how this is the line of christ like god's mm-hmm. king comes from a line where he takes a woman with a broken heart and says, you know what? I'm mm. going to give her a child. And then what does she mm-hmm. do? The opposite of what Saul does. She gives mm-hmm. her son to the Lord. Like that's right. Anna is like in this, like this tradition of how God's King, how true godly, holy leadership is going to be. 
Um, that's right. So I, I, that's so good. That's right. And I love, I just love this whole prayer because I think what this does in chapter two is it kind of gives us the first kind of glimpses of, of the upside down kingdom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? She starts praying. She says, those who are full hide themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth. The woman with many sons pines away. Mm-hmm. And then you see this contrasting language. You see the Lord gives, Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to shield and raises other up, raises others up. He brings poverty. He gives wealth. He humbles, he exalts. And he says he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. And, and I just think it's really important as a, as a Middle Eastern narrative. Um, this is so strange that God would look on favor to the poor who have nothing to offer them. We've talked about this in other episodes before, but in the ancient world, in order to get the attention of the gods, you had to have something. Mm-hmm. You, you had to have something to bargain with, whether it's an offering, whether it's money to go to different temples and pay priests. Um, there were even cultures back then where you had to have sex with the priest in order for God to hear the gods to hear you. Mm. You had to give your body away in a way that you were not comfortable with if right. you were desperate. And so the gods take advantage of the poor and, and mm. the leaders take advantage of the poor, but God does not do that. Yahweh does not do that. He gives even when we have nothing to offer. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Um, I just, I, I was, I really was encouraged, like reading back through this book. Um, there's so much that's beautiful and good here. One thing that, you know, we talk about, like, what are, what are the wonderful things that we see in God's word as we kind of go through this mm-hmm. podcast? And uh, one that I saw that I hadn't really thought of, uh, a lot about before was um, kind of this, this example that we find in Jonathan. Of okay. What, it looks like what, what chapter is that again? Power. Well, so I'm mm. I'm kind of looking at John, awesome. uh, First Samuel chapter 20 is one of the okay. places right. where we see this story kind of unfold. Basically, you have David okay. who comes under fire from Saul because Saul recognizes mm. him as a threat. Hears that the Lord has set His heart on him, and um, Jonathan is the one who should have had the throne, right? So. David is this vulnerable person, right? At this point, he's being pursued by Saul. Saul wants his life. Right. You know, David has nothing to, to he's got the, the highest man in the land after him, right? So this is where a lot of these Psalms come out of where we see David as the oppressed. It's coming out of mm. this period right, of right. David's life. And right. so he is the vulnerable in this situation. And Jonathan has the perfect opportunity to exploit David for his own good. Like getting rid Mm -hmm. of David will most directly benefit Jonathan. And yet Mm. Jonathan uses his power to love. And there was this verse that jumped out at me. um, Verse four in in, uh, Jonathan, first Samuel 20. Uh, Jonathan Mm -hmm. and David are talking and David says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, there is but a step between me and death. Like this is how vulnerable he is. He's like one step between me and death. And Jonathan says to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. And I was just thinking about how normally that phrase, whatever you say, I'll do for you. I'll do anything. That is usually what you hear someone who's really vulnerable say to someone who has power. Like, the poor mm. person comes in to the courtroom and says, I'll do anything. 
the convict or the criminal mm. says, I'll do anything. Don't send me away. The desperate child says to that parent who's, who's threatening them or the vulnerable woman says to that violent man, I'll do anything. Mm. And mm. instead here, wow. instead of David saying that to Jonathan, I'll do anything, protect me. Jonathan says to David, I'll do anything for you. Whatever you want, mm. I'll do. Isn't that amazing? Like, oh yeah, and I think, I think you see that in Jesus as well. We you know when yeah. Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus. You know, the point of the Gospels is to show you Jesus is the King. He's the He's a long foretold King of Israel, the true King of Israel. And uh, I love those moments where, um, and they seem insignificant, but those moments where you know maybe it's a leper or a blind person or or someone mm-hmm. who has an ailment, and they'll come up to him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Absolutely. Um, and and, and I think you see, yeah, I think you're so right. That's right. He says, I will, I will subject myself, my power to what you want. And, and God makes himself mm-hmm. vulnerable. We, um, and, and those yeah, moments. Absolutely. And we also see with this story of Jonathan in, in verse 32 of chapter 20, Jonathan speaks truth to power. He stands up to his dad mm. and he says, That's right. why is he to be killed? What has he done? And then Saul threw mm. his spear at Jonathan to kill him. So mm-hmm. he puts himself in the line of fire for David. Yep. And I just, I just thought that yeah. was really cool. Cause like sometimes we talk about, you know, how dangerous power can be, right. How wrongly it could be used. And, um, mm-hmm. and yet there's a certain extent to which we all have power. And some of us are in positions where we have authority as leaders. And I think mm-hmm. Jonathan is such an example for us of what do we do with that authority? What do we do with that power? How do we that's right. leverage and, it? And that's something I've been thinking about as a leader is like, I really want to be praying like, Lord, make me a leader who's like a giver and not a taker. Make me mm. a leader who like says to the vulnerable, like, what can I do for you? I'll do anything. What do you mm-hmm. want? That's and just right. kind of living out that upside down kingdom in the way we practice leadership. Yo, yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to encourage, I want to echo what you're saying as an encouragement to those who don't know how to kind of start those first steps mm. of kind of doing justice in our world. Say something. Yeah. Say something. Mm. And I think we live in a world where we minimize speaking out because words are used so frivolously. Uh, our politicians lie to us all the time. But the Bible is continually telling us to say something. Mm. You know, yeah. Jonathan said something to his dad. He said something to the one he loves on behalf of another person he loves. And that's what we have to do, whether it's white people talking to their families about racism, whether it's men talking to other men about misogyny, whether it's, uh, you know, those with money and power speaking on behalf of the poor, we cannot minimize words. Mm. Um, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And if you know, any, that's from mm. Proverbs. You think about Proverbs, Proverbs is not written to citizens. It was written to mm. kings. Yeah. It was written to political leaders. And so you have to say something. And so, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever kind of injustice, uh, say something, mm-hmm. Amen. you know, good. That's a good word. but I think we have to end right there. Um, thank you so of much. Of course. Miriam. Hey, there's so much good stuff here. It's go back and go back and read first Samuel. And if you do recognize mm-hmm. that the good things that you see 
in the Kings are just little glimmers of who Jesus will mm-hmm. be. And the bad things you see, the things that give you pause and you go, what? Why is it keep doing that? Mm-hmm. Look for how Jesus is not going to be like that. And I think encourage your heart. Mm. That's right. All Amen. right. Talk to you later. Cody. Well, thank you, Miriam. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.